The real estate market is booming. Whether you look in the suburbs or the city, Chicago continues to expand, creating incredible opportunities for those in the know. We'll connect with Chicago's real estate moguls to bring you the wisdom and expertise to help make your next real estate move a lucrative one on the Real Estate Moguls Podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to the Real Estate Moguls Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ramiro Munoz, real estate developer at Carpe Montes. Ramiro, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Tony. Now, what a pleasure it's been getting to know you. Definitely, same here. You know, I, I got to say that uh, you're a fascinating individual and, you know, this podcast is uh, one great thing you do for the community. So um, it's an honor to be here. No, 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 thank you. And thank you for those kind words. And, you know, let's get, uh, let's get started with uh, how exciting, uh, just the life you've had. But why don't we start with uh, the name of your company, uh, Carpe Montes. Let, tell me about that and where you got the inspiration to create this. Yeah, so Carpe Montes is Latin for Seize the Mountains. Um, or seize the mountain. And uh, the idea is, uh, you know, seizing your mountain of wealth, uh, prosperity, uh, not just any wealth, generational wealth. And it came from um, my parents. They they grew up in, uh, I'm from Michoacan. I was born in Michoacan, Mexico. And it, they, it, at the, at a, uh, there's something called ejidos, which is basically land over there. It's, and where I'm from, there's lush landscaping, natural hot water springs, a lot of mountains. And so uh, the ejidos were given by the government to the people, um, and it's their piece of land. And it was passed down from family to family, and that's how they make a living. They live off the land. So, you know, I was thinking, how could I create a company that is emblematic of that? Um, so it's kind of, a, it brought me here to real estate development and investing, and uh, it just seemed to fit. Wow. And uh, I didn't realize that that's, that's really, really cool. And it's kind of a double meaning because in that sense, you know, you kind of live off your land, but just in a different way, right? Uh, when it comes to real estate in the United States uh, and the way we view it. But for you, it's, uh, I guess, a kind of a, an organic path towards it. But your your background is you went to uh, Miami University, you know, hurricanes down there in uh, Florida and uh, study architecture. So your first job and really your career path was in architecture, right? That's right. I worked for Cubellas here in downtown Chicago on the corner of Wacker and LaSalle, had a beautiful corner office in 2008. And in 2009, the Great Recession uh, took us out, uh, as it did most people, you know, but, um, you know, that although it was a crisis uh, situation for most people, um, at that time, I realized um, that uh, it was time for a change. Uh, you know, the, I was, I had this, uh, University of Miami was wonderful. My professors were excellent. They, uh, it was after I graduated that I realized how famous they were because they'd be on publications. And so I had this dreamy idea of architecture as a lot of architecture students do when they graduate. But then when you do it in practice, uh, I felt like we were just pushing things through permitting mm. and we weren't doing the design. Mm. And so then my question, I remember sitting in the lounge um, at Gubelis at the office and thinking to myself, who does the design here? It's the developers and the architect. It's the developers and the investors. So that's when I realized I've got to be a developer and an investor. Wow. And one of the books you said uh, that you attribute to a lot of your success is Rich Dad Poor Dad as well, right? That's right. Tell me about how, the, from the mindset standpoint that we had been, we've been talking about quite a bit, but that you know, being uh, an immigrant yourself, right, being born in Mexico, but coming here and, and, and 
you were raised in Indiana, right? Um, That's right. How did you evolve from the mindset of, of working and working for a living to becoming an investor and, and really stepping into that uh, full on? Well, I, it went through, I went through a lot of trials and tribulations. And I think that moment where the Great Recession happened, um, it, you know, everyone got laid off. And uh, the next job that I could get was a property management job because it was taking care of buildings after they're built, somewhat recession-proof, but in my experience, the most thankless job you can have because you take everybody's problems in. Um, It was a great learning experience. Uh, I had a lot of great mentors, and it was during that time that I was able to um, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and within a couple of years, I was making offers, and I was looking for my real estate deal. Yeah, and uh, and I became an investor, two years into property management because I thought, wow, I'm saving these uh, and uh, condo associations, these boards, lots of money, these, these landlords, lots of money. I'm, I see how it operates and why am I not doing it for myself? It doesn't make sense. So, you know, I dove in head first, made a hundred offers before I got my first deal. Wow. And uh, it took about a year to get about a year. And uh, it's still one of my best deals. It was a short sale deal. And, um, um, I got to say that, uh, one of the reasons why, uh, why I got involved in it is, uh, you know, by that time, hundred offers, you're kind of seasoned, right? You, you get used to it. You're, you're not afraid of, uh, rejection. Cause at that point, I mean, you're literally knocking on doors that's what you're doing, right? You know, it, I, I was driving around the neighborhood looking on Zillow and Redfin and I would see property values. And then I had simple spreadsheets and I would just quickly run the numbers, sometimes even just on a, cal- just a calculator. You know, after a certain time, you, you just start to narrow down your search. And then when you get certain key indicators, um, then you dive in deeper in the analysis. So, you know, uh, you know and again, 100 offers a year into it. And I was doing this, you know, after work um, regularly. So when I got this first deal, the next question was, how am I going to pay for it? Hmm. You know, and uh, I put $1,000 of my own money in. That was the interest money deposit. And I went to the first people that I could trust. And that was my parents. You know, uh, I'm the son of uh, immigrants. And um, I guess they were, uh, they were investors. They already had rental property, you know, they, and they had the idea of owning real estate from Mexico um, and living off the land. So uh, it's kind of crazy that I had to go through college, an architecture career, a property management career to finally discover that, hey, I'm, I've got to pick up the family business. <laughs> right, right. That's so funny. That's so true. Come full circle, right? That's right. Now, how do you feel that your architecture background, but also the property management, I'm sure it's come quite in handy uh, when it comes to being a developer. So yeah, it's helped tremendously. I think with the architecture, at first I was really focused on design, but at the University of Miami, we studied new urbanism, which is the history of cities and designing the best cities. So what I could see is I could see the movement of Chicago. Chicago, as Frank Lloyd Wright described it, is one of the last magical cities. And you know, after the Chicago fire came, um, burned a lot of the place down. You know, the you had the Burnham Plan and 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 a lot of the huge architects. They were able to design a master plan that um, was very easy to just navigate. So when I look at Zillow, when I look at Redfin, when I look at other maps on values, you can see somewhat how 
neighborhoods are changing. You know, Wicker Park's different now than it was 20 years ago. 100%. You know, you, Pilsen's up and coming right now. You know, I was at that time, Logan Square and Humboldt Park were skyrocketing. And uh, well, actually, they weren't moving, but they but I could see it. I could see it. I would drive by and I would say, why is this lot $20,000? Why is this single family home under 100000 You go, you know, you just over in Wicker Park, they're half a million dollar homes. Why, why, you know, now they're million dollar homes, but at that time it was a half million dollar home. Yeah. So I could see, I could see the gaps and I could see the, I, I would focus on the fringe neighborhoods and then I would go drive them and I would uh, look at the analysis and then slow and steady, you know, just get a system down and operate that system and make it happen. Wow. And when was it that you like went full time into being an investor and, and doing this on your own as opposed to, you know, working and investing and, and kind of figuring out that that gray area? Well, you know, it, it's that's a great question, because I think I jumped in too early. If mm-hmm. it was if I could do it over again, I think I would probably maybe stay in my job a little bit more and oh, take really? it a little bit slowly, because uh, what I ended up doing is I uh, probably three, four years into property management, I dove in head first after my second deal. Uh, my first deal was a home run and second deal was more just a place to live. Like lived on the, it was a three flat. So the first deal was a two flat and, um, I, it was a burst strategy. So my parents gave me the seed money. I used a conventional loan, refinanced it in, uh, six to nine months and gave my parents back their capital, paid off my credit cards for the construction and the property was doubled in, in price. And, wow. and then I used that money and, uh, I didn't go on a vacation. I put it into the next property, which was a three flat in Rogers Park. Good for you. And then we lived on the first floor and the tenants above uh, paid for our, our mortgage. Wow. And, uh, and that's when I decided to go full time. And, um, and then, uh, you know, at the time uh, we were, uh, we just had our first child and um, it was, it, I think it was just very stressful. Um, we got a franchise that went belly up. And that's what I like to call shiny objects. You know, like in, in, when you have a, a, a focus, like now I think f- keep that focus, you know, laser focus on what you want to achieve because there were a lot of other opportunities that were coming in front of us. And the franchise was one of them. And we, we uh, invested in a franchise, didn't do well, lost a lot of money, lost a lot of time. And, you know, looking back on it, if I would have just done real estate and just perfected my craft, you know, I would have kept going and, you know, it would have been all right. And what does that look like to perfect your craft when you're, uh, I mean, is it, yeah, I guess, what does that look like if, if you're starting out or you, know, you have limited resources, maybe you've only sold one house, but how do you get on that track to, to really hone your skills and, and to, to practice or to get good at it? Uh, as my mentor, Nick Yassan would say, uh, wash, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Yes. And, and he's absolutely right with that. Um, you know, I think that uh, identify, continue doing what you're doing, maybe adjust it uh, if you're looking to scale up. So, you know, I started with two flats, three flats, and then quickly did, um, I had a, a new company with new uh, team members. And the first project that we did, home run, and then, you know, that, that partnership kind of fizzled out, did not do well. We lost a lot of money. And that put us in a, in a, in a, in a very difficult space. Um, so, you know, when, when you're, uh, when you're caught in, in a crisis mode and you think, oh, it's not going to work out, 
uh, you know, and, and the thing is that we, I, I switched from the burst strategy buy, rehab, rent, refi to fix and flip. And it was the right thing to do, but it wasn't, I knew deep down inside, I'm a multifamily value add investor. That's who I am. That's what I do. That's what I like. That's what I believe in. And, uh, it kind of took, you know, I tested the waters, tested the waters and I just realized, Hey, fix and flip. Not for me. I mean, I can do it, but it's not for me. And then when I tried to expand that business model, uh, for a variety of reasons, it, 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 it crumbled. And that was another crisis, right? <laughs> so had the great recession, changed careers. And then I had, um, you know, this, uh, this business, this partnership that, uh, had a lot of hope, had a lot of success, had a lot of opportunity, and then it crumbled. And out of that, um, I kind of, hid in my shell a little bit, mm. you know, but then there was, I realized you can only do this so long. You have to, you know, if you stay in fear, then you're not growing. Like you have to, you have to have the courage to, to move on, to learn from your mistakes, to pick yourself back up and dust yourself off and, you know, and go out there and get it. And that's exactly what I did. And I did it slowly and I did it steadily much, uh, I was vo more measured this time around. And, um, and I had the great fortune of meeting, uh, some really quality people to, so, so right now I basically, so at this point in my life, um, I realize, Hey, I, I need some help. I need to go. I, I can't do this all on my own. And, I need help from investors or other people with talents, with resources. Because at this point, you were just doing it all on your own. Right. Wow. Good for you, though, for, I mean, even getting out there and doing that. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it, it's, it's a struggle. But I mean, you know, yeah, I think it comes from, you know, the background. You, as someone said, uh, what, it, what did they say? My friend um, described it as like, like a charging bull. <laughs> yeah. Like you're just, you're just going hard and you just plow through and you just get it done. But in the process, it could be destructive. Yeah. So, you know, a more measured approach, you know, something that where you learn is uh, I learned from my mistakes, regrouped, and I was at a networking event and um, I met a couple guys, uh, you know, we were at the buffet line and uh, they're like, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a real estate investor as I'm eating a chicken wing. And, uh, you know, I'm like, what do you guys do there? Oh, they're MEP engineers. And. Um, you know, before we knew it, we were, they're like, oh, we, we want to, we want to buy a multifamily building, uh, like a 16 unit or something. And, uh, this was, uh, Eduardo and Neil that I, that I met. Uh, and, um, so I said, okay, Hey, uh, why don't we, yeah, this isn't the space we talked for a little bit, but then I was like, well, why don't you guys come, uh, we'll meet at the university club. I'm a member at the club and, um, and, and we can, you know, ha uh, over drinks, we can kind of see where we, how things fit. And one thing I realized is when you're partnering with somebody, you're not just doing a transaction. Like it can be a relationship. It's like a marriage. Yeah. And just like a marriage, you don't just jump in head first and propose right away. Right. You got to go out and date and, you know, make sure that it's a good fit. And so I'm like, hmm, I got to have a few drinks with these guys. I got to see where their head's at. I got to make sure that they can, you know, be there through thick and through thin and, um, uh, we met and we hit it off. The chemistry was great. These guys were motivated. They were on point. Uh, I think there was just a, a synergy, you know, that, 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 uh, and, and, um, 
And then we had Edgar, which is Eduardo's brother, come join us, and we ended up forming Dukemont. And so Dukemont is one of a private equity companies that, um, that uh, Carpe Montes manages. Oh, interesting. And so this company uh, basically was formed from, you know, that partnership. And what we've uh, accomplished, you know, we, at first, you know, we were thinking, oh, should we do a two flat or a single family or this? No. We went right in, head deep, got a 50-unit building. Holy smokes. In Milwaukee, of all places. And we're all in Chicago. Wow. And how did that go for you guys? Uh, killed it. Wow. Good for <laughs> now, you. Now, it didn't come without its struggles. Um, we, uh, we thought it was, uh, we gave ourselves five years to do it, but I think we could have done it comfortably in two. And it's basically it was about, a flip. It was a, um, it's kind of a burst strategy. So it's a value add. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we basically bought it for 1.4 mil. We put a half a million into oh, wow. it and we were hoping for 2.6 mil and it was appraised for three and a half million. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And you did it over a course of five years? We did that over four years. Wow. Yeah, during the pandemic. (laughs) Wow. We learned a lot. It was, uh, so I talk about it and I say, you know, hey, uh, this is what we did. But these, I couldn't have done it without these guys because um, there were a million problems. There were so many times where this could have gone south. I remember December 2019 where we were, uh, I just had... Um, my son, he, my son had just been born. I was, you know, super tired and the financials were not looking good. And we're like, why is this building not performing? Like it should be performing right now. And nobody, you know, and we we were expecting to make money. We, so just, uh, in hindsight, we didn't make money on this building for four years. We just kept putting money in for four years until we refied. And Yeah. So, you know, so, and, and there were a lot of problems. There were cost overruns. We went, we doubled the construction budget. Um, we had to change management companies. We had to fire multiple contractors. We had to go in there and, you know, do some work every now and then, like roll up our sleeves and really find out like, what does it really cost this much? And we realized, Hey, there's just a lot of things that, that, uh, that we just learned very quickly, you know, and when you have a problem with like a, a single family, right? You know, it's one bedroom, one bathroom, one kitchen, or however it might be, but, but it's one unit. Now, if you hire a contractor and they make a mistake on that one unit, you know, it'll cost you what that, just that one unit costs, right? The, the, the mistake that they made on that one unit. Now, if you have a 50 unit, if they do that on 50 or even 20, let's just say 20 of the units, that's, that's 20 times the cost yeah. of the mistake. Yeah. So, you know, we, uh, we had some really difficult times where we could have walked away. We could have said, let's let this go, you know, leave money on the table or just sell it as is. And we didn't, you know, we pulled our heads together. We had mastermind sessions and we're like, okay, guys, I know we have to come up with a hundred thousand dollars in the next 30 days and nobody has any cash right now because we've all put it in. Right. How are we going to get this done? And Sometimes, you know, the stupidest, you know, the thing you, you, you think, oh, that's a dumb question or that's a dumb solution. Sometimes that dumb solution is the only solution you have. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> wow. Now, well, like, looking at the, the difference between something like two or three, you know, five, ten units, right, versus 50, um, is that something that you now have gotten bit by a bug that you want to keep getting bigger? Or is it like, holy hell, that was too much and, you know, let's scale down because it's easier to manage smaller uh, units. 
or smaller uh, numbers of unions. No, I, I love multifamily. Um, and I think that's where we're going to stay. And then the, uh, now the question is identifying the market and the project that we like. So I don't think size necessarily, I don't think we um, were averse to the to, to larger or smaller properties, but anything commercial five plus, uh, you know, that, that does uh, good for the community uh, because that 50 unit is the best, uh, it's the best building in the block. Wow. You know, it definitely improved the community. Um, you know, it was a class D area. Now it's probably closer to class C and or definitely class C, but I, you know, I think we can see it class B very quickly. Um, and, and uh, we're improving that neighborhood. You know, the, the crime is, is down. The, um, it's very clean. The people, it's quiet. People like, uh, people feel safe there. So a huge, huge uh, change from what was there before. And I think that's the, probably the biggest takeaway that we can, you know, we can give. We, can, we give back to the community. You know, it, most people look at this and they say, oh, you know, they're doing this to make money, you know, and, and, and to... Uh, gentrification, right? But hey, I mean, we're all Hispanic here, all the investors. So, you know, it's um, uh, we 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 do it. Uh, yeah, it, clearly, we do it to to make a living. But uh, beyond that, we also want to be the change. Uh, you know, we want to be the change that we want to see in the world. Absolutely. And, and talk to me a little bit about that, if you don't mind, just how you have been met with. Because I'm sure we talked about it even earlier. It's just, it's just so prevalent when when people. They just want to be on their hate box, right, and, and say what they want to say. But how do you combat that? And 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 coming from that perspective of what do you mean gentrification? Like you're right, you, you are the very people that that are being accused of of gentrifying. We're like how how can we? We're the ones doing it, right? So how, what are some of those things that you say to people when when that does come up? You know, um, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that uh, it's very easy to get lost in. Um, like the minutiae or things that maybe aren't at uh, the center of the, uh, they're at the point, right? I think the point is, let's take Humboldt Park, for example. Humboldt Park, I was there in probably between 2014 and 2017, and we did about five. Uh, we were we were deconverting uh, three, four unit homes, most of them abandoned, into single family luxury homes right before the 606 came to be and uh, opened up and right after that prices skyrocketed and it was the market was saturated and now it's great now it's a great area now if you look at that area in the 90s um there were you know there was lots of drugs there was gangs there was you know gunshots all the time like kids you know kids couldn't ride their bikes out there and you know, ever since uh, leading up to 20, you know, 2014, 2016, where Humboldt Park was one of the top 10 neighborhoods in the country. Wow. Um, and people that had lived there during those times and were owners, you know, you had, they were able to, their real estate value increased. So they'd been living in a, let's say a two flat or a three flat their whole life. Their, you know, their kids and their aunts and uncles would be living in the top floors and, you know, a property that they purchased for $30,000, not worth half a million. Wow. You know, and what do they do? They sell it. Why? Because they want to they move to the suburbs. They want to retire. They want to get out of the city. They want to take their kids and their grandkids to college and they want to pay for it. And, you know, they want to they travel just like everybody else. Yeah. And then you have, you know, me coming in. And I'm talking to Alderman Maldonado at the time. 
And he, I'm asking him, what does this community need? And he's like, we need less renters and we need more family homes. We, we, we need more homeowners. So if you can create more single family homes, these single family luxury mansions, these four, three level, three to four level homes in Humboldt Park. Um, and you can, you know, people can have their whole family in there. Wow. And so that's what we did. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, I'm very proud of those projects. I'm still paying for them, but I'm very <laughs> proud of them. <laughs> well, and there's a lot to be proud of. And now for people listening that they, they're inspired and, and they want to get started, what advice would you give uh, for people who still have a job, but they're, you know, they want to get into real estate investing, don't know re- really where to start, what would be a good place for them to, to focus on? Well, I think that uh, your education, your financial literacy, um, or uh, yeah, your uh, rich debt, poor debt. If you do, if you haven't read it, that's a great place to start. And then beyond that, going out there and speaking to other investors, go to networking groups. Um, if if you know anyone in the industry, talk to them, give them a call, send them a text message. Uh, you know, it, even if you hear people like me on a on a podcast, uh, you know, reach out. Uh, I think that. You never know who you're going to talk to. And I got to say, I did not get here by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there have been a lot of people that have helped me. Um, and uh, and, and I, I think that it's, it's the community that if you reach out, like people will, you know, people will be there. They, they will take your hand and, and walk you through things. They, I, you know, they won't be afraid. I think before I was afraid to talk about dollars and money and profit. And then once you start hanging out with people, it's, it just becomes your language. Yeah. You know, it's, you start, you go to Mexico, you start speaking Spanish, you don't speak Spanish, you start speaking, you can start speaking really quick if, you know, just by surrounding yourself by like-minded and uh, similar people. A hundred percent. And last question I have you before we wrap up is what's, you know, what's the future look like for you? What's on the horizon? What are you focused on uh, moving forward into 2023? Well, um, we are looking at our next projects. We're looking in Milwaukee and we're looking in uh, Northern Indiana, specifically Elkhart and South Bend. Um, there's severe housing shortages over there. Really? And uh, there's a lot of, you know, the, there's a lot of work, but people just don't have um, an urban uh, setting like like we do here in the city. And so the, the towns over there are really looking, especially in Elkhart, they're really looking to, um, they're really looking to have a kind of an urban core. And they don't have developers that are going out there. And the big problem is that it costs too much to, um, it costs more to build than it does to sell over there. So, you know, the economics don't necessarily make sense, but it's the fourth largest industrial capital of the country, RV capital of the world. Wow. And, you know, I think something like, you know, tens of thousands of people commute there from out of the county to work and also leave the same day. Their hotels are full. If you go, if you go to their hotels at night, the parking lots are packed with contractor trucks because there's so much work there. Wow! Yeah, I didn't realize that. But uh, again, the econ- the economics don't make sense. So <laughs> to build, so we're working with the we're working with the local community groups and and the city and the development corporation over there to um, uh, to see what can be done. Um, so hopefully, we'll be building. Uh, we're looking at three different phases of building everything from single family to, you know, fourplexes all the way up to uh, mul- a larger multifamily. And eventually we'll get into the mixed use and office space. Um, but that's down the line. I think that's more immediate. But uh, 
ultimately, I, I really want to take a company public. I want to maybe create a REIT. Uh, and I think that's my 10-year goal. Wow. So I want to, <laughs> want to create like the infrastructure so that, you know, we have a company that, you know, you can t- send off, hire the best of the best to manage it. And, you know, with, uh, with this uh, mindset of helping the community and, and, and making um, communities and, and, and buildings as, as beautiful as you can, uh, basically improving uh, our footprint in society. All very exciting. And uh, wow, uh, impressive. You know, I mean, there's so much more to you, but obviously this is what we have time for now. But I can't wait for the for the next one to hear progress you've made and especially people reach out. I think there's a lot of wisdom here that, that you've shared with us, but again, more so that uh, I'm sure that we have to unpack. So on that, I mean, thank you for coming in and sharing your story, being a part of this and look forward to the next one. Thank you, Tony. My pleasure.